podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every single week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And Reed was here, but he mentioned needing to put in an appearance at the Cinema Club. I am not sure what he thought this was, but, you know, whatever. Uh, while we wait on Reed, I would like to welcome to the show. Uh, first is longtime fogger, quarterly queen with the best lemon squares recipe in Woodsboro. Friends and foggers, it is Vera Gowdy. Welcome, Vera. Hey, I don't think I've ever made lemon squares, but. <laughs> well, you know what? Just it's called just improv, Vera. Yes, and I have faith it. if I uh, did, they'd be delicious. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sure. That is probably true. Um, next, I would like to introduce a longtime friend of the show, but an even longer time friend of the hosts. She would reinvent herself, but she has no idea what to f- write. It is Denise Deaton. Denise. Hello. And, and actually, I haven't been Denise Deaton for almost 13 years. <laughs> I'm I'm Denise Smith now. Look um, at that. Wow. Talk about a, a fumble on air, real time, right there. <laughs> okay. But, you know, when Reed gets here, you know what I'm going to love about this, Denise Smith? Yeah. See, I, 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 yeah. Like that took work right there is for listeners at home, for Vera, who is here, Reed, you know, at some point he'll be back uh, with us. But listeners denise know that reed and i go way back okay yeah. uh i yeah. often refer to there's like uh, uh before reed and after reed in my life however uh you know what reed might may not remember or may perhaps not even know is that you denise precede reed uh i in, do in my life so we are there's some pulling pulling from the back back catalog here so yes, i'm thankful I am- you're here I am in the before read era. You are. You are. Yeah. <laughs> there aren't many. It's like my siblings, my parents, <laughs> and you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. At some point, I wonder if Reed will show up here. Um, Vera, Denise, uh, y'all see if you can sort out where this year's Stabathon is going to be while I remind listeners that here at the Fear of God, we explore. We do not explain, except for right now when I explain that you can find all things foggy at the Fear of God podcast dot com things such as and especially how to support us on patreon more on that in a minute because who is this but the man who just won't die no it is not michael myers it is reed, <laughs> reed. 
Hi, man. Hey, buddy. Nobody wanted to come to my marathon. I, I'm quitting Cinema Club. Nobody wants to honor Ernest anymore. Like, I tried to line it up. We had it all. Ernest goes to camp. Ernest goes to jail. Ernest scared stupid. I had them all lined up, and everybody quit the Cinema Club on me. Nobody's going to mess up my Ernest marathon this year. Nobody. Nobody's going to do it. Nope. You, you feel quite earnest about this. That was clever. I will. <laughs> I will. I was. Uh, I will mm. step back and go. Mm, yes, sir. Yeah, that's that's what. That's as a, we referenced last week, that's the. Yes. That, that's not a tip of the hat. No, that's not a tip oh, of the hat. That is, a, that is a. That is a. That is a tip of the hat. That is a squint while I look away. That is a. No. That is a yes. Now that's yes. the tip of the hat. It's not an applause, <laughs> but it's a tip it's, of the hat. Sure. Sure. Nonetheless, Denise, read Denise. Read. It's so Smith. Good to see you. Denise Smith. I don't know who she is, but Denise <laughs> yes. Smith is here. <laughs> and Vera, it's so good to see you. Hi. Oh my God. That's we Vera have... Gowdy. I know yeah. that yes. name. <laughs> yes, yes. You didn't know me when I had my maiden name, so we nope. did. <laughs> <laughs> he has well, not yet learned it? my maiden my maiden name yet. So mm. there's that. But... <laughs> what makes it worse, Vera, is that um Nathan was actually my brother's roommate for a while. Um, in two Why does that make separate it worse? That just means it's even more entrenched in my brain. You're made. Well, that's what I meant. That's what oh. is worse is that mm. it's more entrenched because, yes. you know, he also knows Darren Deaton. And so mm. it's and he's got real. alliteration going for him. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah that's um, <laughs> it's it's the whole family, but they didn't plan it. it it's like really... y'all were designed by Stan Lee. Yes, yes, we were. Yeah. (laughs) Follow that wherever you want to. All right. So we're going to have a good time. Read Vera Denise. We got some quick business to attend to before we get to our main discussions for today. Number one, listeners, if you're finding us for the first time today, welcome. And know that you have caught us at the perfect time because it is, after all, spooky season. And Halloween times also means it's time once more for the fear of God to cover an entire horror franchise in one series this year. Featuring the whole Scream uh, film franchise in a series we have affectionately dubbed, dubbed, (laughs) in a series we have affectionately dubbed, this is a lot of syllables. Tonight, my six-year-old used the word representing, and I was like, I'm so proud of you. You just used a four-syllable word, and she goes, representing. I was like, yes, that's right. So, affectionately dubbed. Scream-a-ween is where you found us. Last week on Scream-a-ween, we had, yes, once more gory gamer Matt Murray and Quarterly King Andy Whitfield to discuss Scream 3. Uh, Today's episode will also feature a patron-only segment uh, of Reed and I discussing an episode of The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror installments. The second order of business today is that it is time for Foggoween. Foggoween is our annual Halloween party here at the Fog. Uh, already, it already had a date on a previously mentioned episode, uh, that of Sunday, October 29th. But now it also has a time that of 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. How do you get to come to Foggoween? Join Patreon. Join our Patreon at any level, and you can come hang out with us and other Foggers at this year's Foggoween. Games, laughs, costumes, maybe some prizes. It's all fun. See Vera win every costume prize because, you know, lemon squares are costumes. She just knocks it out of the park. Uh, <laughs> see Reed answer every trivia question known to man and then some not known to man. Uh, it's it's uncanny and freakish. If I'm being <laughs> completely honest. <laughs> OK, I believe it. I believe yes. it. <laughs> you, you can, no, 
you, you say that now, but you you can't until you watch it in real time. It's like um, what is that? What is that weirdo illusionist that everybody? Uh, uh, come on, help me out, somebody. You know, lots like, of weirdo illusionists in the world. Yeah, uh, you could have well, add a, add another one to the mix. <laughs> you get read lucky. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's enough business for now. Um, Vera, Denise, yeah. y'all figure out which stab movie is your favorite uh reed and i are going to go visit momentarily another fictional town probably not far from woodsboro this of springfield <laughs> as we discuss another treehouse of horror installment of the simpsons for our patrons Okay, we are back from Springfield. Uh, uh, Reed, you no longer have to wear your yellow cartoon character makeup. Um, Aww. So <laughs> that was actually very uh, Homer. Homer. <laughs> I tried. There. You yeah, did. I'm, I'm glad it landed. It, it translated. So we've got some fun stuff to get to here today, but one of the uh, topmost fun things we want to get to is hanging out with Denise for a second here, or for the whole episode, but specifically, we're going to highlight you here. Denise, we go way back. Uh, uh, yeah. Some to to goodness gracious, two thousand and no ninety eight, ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Holy, oh my god! Well, you you started um, at at the G Dub in ninety eight. Yes, and that's yes. And, and you were there um, in ninety seven. Yes, I was there in yep. ninety seven, and we did rumors in ninety eight, didn't we? We did. In fact, that was uh, yeah. my very first. My, my debut on the GWU stage was old Neil Simon's rumors. <laughs> so and stream uh, to Denise. Yep. <laughs> and we killed it in that production. I just want to say, but yeah, it's, it, it's it kind of stabbed. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, sure. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, something we like to do, Denise, every time we have a guest on for the very first time um is ask you two questions okay and those questions uh and i'll i'll state them uh uh and then you can answer them as you want one is sort of it for people who aren't into horror we usually ask kind of what got you sort of into genre style material um i'm if i'm perfectly honest i can't quite recall your level of total interest in horror writ large but so i'll ask it as i would if you were which is do you have a favorite horror movie uh and or what kind of got you into liking this genre overall uh and then the second one and you know even though we are prone on this show to uh get uh, silly um, you can get as serious as you want with this. Uh, we are also prone to turn on a dime from silly to uh, serious. And but that question is, what scares you? You know, on our show, uh, one of the going mantras is uh, kind of discussing what scares us in order to find what saves us. And we just always find that an interesting place to start uh, with new folks. So to put you on the spot, Denise, what is your favorite scary movie? And or you know, what kind of got you into the genre? Um. Do not laugh at me when I say what my favorite scary movie is. Um, but it is the 90s hit Urban Legends. Hey. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that is because I love stories. Hmm. So that's what that movie is about. It's about 
scary stories becoming real. And um, even though it's all its 90s campiness, uh, Rebecca Gayhart, I believe, is the mm -hmm. main uh, actress in that. I did not look that up. Also before in Scream 2, by the way. That oh, is, yeah, yes. She is. In, mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, and so that's that's my favorite scary movie. I'm not huge. Was it? Let me jump in. Was it like from from when you first saw it? You're like, wow, that one really had an impact on you or it's kind of grown in your esteem over time or? No, from the first time I saw it, I just really liked it. <clears throat> um, all those 90s like scary movies that basically started with Scream. Mm -hmm. um the the first scream um i because i remember seeing scream in the theater um Ooh. yeah and uh and urban legends and um i know what you did last summer mm -hmm. i know what you did last summer too i know again what you <laughs> I did. still know what you I did still know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I have known what you have done for all time um, we've been new on the zone yeah <laughs> i heard so that. you know <laughs> so all of those i i like those um those i liked them then and i still like them now even though there's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite sure uh carry on um but so i'm not huge into the scary movie genre but i don't hate it and i don't shy away from it either uh i just don't have a whole lot of people in my life who also like scary movies Mm. Now, if I still lived near um, our other friend, uh, Carrie Cranford, um, I would be watching scary movies all the time. And whenever <laughs> I visit and stay with her, that is basically what we do every night is watch <laughs> scary movies. That's awesome. Um, and I enjoy it. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that is answer to question number one. Um, question number two, what scares me? Um, on a serious note... Um, what's, I can answer this two ways. Um, I can be deep and philosophical because that's my job. Um, <laughs> and then I can just be surface level. So deep and philosophical is I'm scared of not living up to my own potential mm. on a surface level. Um, jump scares, scare the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I'll be watching a movie and I know something is about to jump out, I will go like this, and so and <laughs> somehow awesome. that that saves me and I'm good. I will cover my <laughs> face and just peek out through my fingers, just through one, just one eye yeah. through the fingers, <laughs> or you... take the blanket and pull it up to my nose. Mm -hmm. It's like a safety shield. I get it. Yeah, that Thank keeps you. all the Thank that you. keeps all the scary away. My son I, I... has recently gone on a mission. Because he discovered some time ago that I do not startle easily. Something that Nathan has also discovered in the real. I do not startle easily. And so my son has gone on a mission. It's kind of a lame trait, actually. If I'm being wow. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say you're lame. I just it's, like it's it's only kinda, lame, but it kind of takes only a little lame. bit of fun out, you know. No, no, no. It's oh, I'm gonna tell this story now. Now you've done saying you've told lame, it before. It's okay. You can yeah, tell it again. I'm gonna remind the listeners. But anyway, my son has gone on a mission to try to startle me. So randomly, like when you know, at nighttime when uh, he's pretending to be asleep already and I go in to like turn off the lights and everything, the little night lights, uh, he goes and he'll try to like, oh, you know, try to scare me. But, uh, you know, it's it's very, very difficult. The I reason find it's helpful to get our children disappointed with us as parents early on, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and so you're yeah. just going to get that out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, of the I, way. Am, 
<laughs> I am a good dad in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> Denise is right. Step down. Mission I, accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the reason Nathan says it's lame is because, you know, at, at one of our get together weekends, they orchestrated like, oh, Reed's just going to, Reed's hanging out with his friends. Everything's going well. And then while I go to the bathroom, they had one of our buddies, Jeff Hansen, put on a big werewolf mask. The, <laughs> the, um, uh, I forget the character's name. What is his name uh, from Creep? Uh, Fuzzface or Fuzz, uh, Fuzzball? Fuzzball, something. Fuzzy pants. I for, yeah, I'm forgetting the name now, but it's, it's a very specific <laughs> mask from Creep. And he put that on. And when I walked out of the bathroom, he tried to like lunge forward at me. And I think I did something like reach forward and try to tickle him or something. I was like, oh, <laughs> it was. Yeah. And uh, he was yeah. like, well, that was anticlimactic. And I was like, yeah. Well, and that's how everybody on this call feels right now, too, here in the story is uh, she's like, well, dang, you couldn't have just feigned surprise, you know? Well, but not okay. nonetheless. This yeah. is this is Denise's moment, and we've just like it'll just make it all that more sweet when he finally gets got. That's that's true. I guess that we just true. you know yeah okay fine, Vera <laughs> fine. It's it's peach fuzz. Peach, peach fuzz, fuzz. That's the one. There yes, it is. Thank you, Denise. Yes, peach fuzz is correct. Yes, <clears throat> they put on the peach fuzz mask and uh, could not startle me. And hey, Denise, Nathan have you seen Insidious, the first one? I have not. Okay, if you like jump scares, you should watch that movie. And if, if you, you don't like, like jump, jump scares, <laughs> and if you don't like jump scares, you should watch that movie. <laughs> hey, it works. Yeah, it works both ways. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So about this movie, yep. um, nice. this is Scream Four. Uh, this is the second time on the fear of God that we have covered this story. This was part of our series. Uh, I think a year or two ago maybe a couple years ago, uh, where we spent the year going through what scares us and what saves us. And Scream 4 was the entry for what scares uh, our friend of the show, Jackson Harper. And so he came on to talk about that show at that point. Um, but as we're doing this run through the franchise of Scream Ween, we decided to have some new guests on and talk about it all over again with some fresh perspectives. So let me go ahead and dive into what the uh, synopsis is for this film per Apple iTunes. It says... The original star-studded cast reunites a decade later in this spine-chilling fourth installment of the $300 million grossing Scream franchise. Sidney Prescott, Nev Campbell, now the author of a self-help book, returns home to Woodsboro on the last stop of her book tour. There, she reconnects with Sheriff Dewey, David Arquette, and Gail, Courtney Cox, who are now married, as well as her cousin Jill, Emma Roberts, and her Aunt Kate, Mary McDonald. Unfortunately, Sydney's appearance also brings about the return of Ghostface, putting Sydney, Gale, and Dewey, along with Jill, her friends, and the whole town of Woodsboro in danger. Dun, dun, dun. So, uh, I, I, I love, Reed, now that the baton has been passed to you for about this movie, I love mm -hmm. when you're just reading them and you go... Uh, we find Sidney Prescott, Nev Campbell, uh, now once more partnering up oh, with indeed. Dewey Riley, David Arquette, yeah. uh, and Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox. You know, yeah. so you know just, that, that's how that's how I read really. uh, parentheticals, uh, like a exactly. Stage yes, it's yeah. parenthetical that you yeah. have to no. change the voice. You have to change. Yeah. You know, I can't. Yeah. I can't because just... because it, it sounds awkward if I'm like Sidney Prescott, Nev Campbell, author. That's uh, why you just don't read the parenthetical. <laughs> you know, you just because. But you don't read the parenthetical. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I did. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So um, while I've, while I've re while I've rudely interrupted you, I want to throw out that this yes, as you mentioned, is a redux of Scream Four, and that first uh, aired June twenty second, two thousand twenty one. Oh, 
So Ooh. just over two years ago. Ooh, very, very nice. Um, so we've spent a little bit of time getting to know Denise. I'm going to give her a breath and go to Vera. Vera, what is your, uh, not only your sensibilities and your experience with this film in particular, but the Scream franchise as a whole? It's the first time you're on talking about Scream. So uh, yeah, uh, how do you feel about the Scream franchise and, and what's the deal with Scream 4 for you? <laughs> what is the deal? Um, I like the Scream franchise. I watched the first one on my 16th birthday. That's what we did for my birthday party. We rented Scream and watched it at my house. Um, and this is just a weird random factoid about where I grew up. So I grew up in um, a town west of Toronto called Mississauga. <laughs> and um, Nev Campbell is also from Mississauga. Oh, And her dad was a drama teacher at a school called Lauren Park. And everybody wanted like when i was growing up and i was um high school age everybody tried to go to lowen park so that they could get drama from Nev campbell's dad so that they, he could wow. be their drama teacher it was like a weird thing growing up where i grew up um <laughs> uh yeah so uh yeah she's canadian i appreciate that i mm-hmm. like the scream franchise i have fond memories of it i got to meet most of the cast very recently very uh, very cool uh Jason Kennedy, who's not in this one. He died in two. Jamie Kennedy. Yeah, yeah Jamie Kennedy, sorry. Mm-hmm. Gave me a hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I That's had awesome. a really nice long conversation with him um, because I was super pregnant at um, Fan Expo. And so mm-hmm. I got a lot of um, attention because of that. And that was nice. Oh, <laughs> anyway, he was just cool. really kind. And so was Matthew Lillard, who also died in Scream 1. But yeah. Um, yeah. So I love Scream. Um, the cast is really cool. And uh, there's a connection to where I grew up. <laughs> that's awesome. No, no, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, Denise, what is your history with this franchise and with this film in particular? Um, well, I watched it for the first time last week. <gasps> uh, screen, I watched Scream 4 for the first time last week. I'm so excited um, about this. Yeah, but Scream, the original, as stated previously, I did watch in the theater mm-hmm. um, in 1996. Uh, when I was 17 years old. Wow. Um, yeah, I, and, uh, <laughs> so like I said, that, um, just led me to watching all of those movies, the, you know, movies that came out. And, um, but as far as the Scream franchise goes, I, I know I watched two. I'm pretty sure I watched three. I didn't watch four until just recently, and I haven't seen five or six. Mm, okay. All right. So, so this will be your opportunity going through it with the fear of God to go ahead and watch five and go ahead and watch six. I'm going to preemptively yeah. encourage that. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and I do like them. I mean, even though, you know, they're campy and, you know, there are some problems, they're still mm-hmm. entertaining. And I like it's they're all nostalgic for me. Even watching mm. this one that was I think 2011 is That's when right. yep. it came out. Um even watching this one it felt like it felt like I was 17 again. <laughs> it does have that effect because the familiarity of the characters even though they're older uh mm-hmm. the, just the familiarity of the vibe I totally get that because it it does sort of resonate all of these films uh particularly these first four have that same effect of like oh I'm going back to visit kind of old fictional friends uh which yeah. which is kind of odd but also kind of nice um nathan what's your 
feelings about Scream 4 now having seen it a few times, I think. Uh, yeah, in fact, this would have been my third. I watched it initially for our June 22nd, 2021 episode. Uh, <laughs> and then top of this year, as mentioned a couple times in Scream Ween so far, I watched rewatched all of them in prep for six. So here's what's interesting to me about this franchise is for me, I, I, um, it would be a bit of a heresy, uh, to suggest that, you know, perhaps one isn't top dog, the 96 one, but in terms of just the things that I struggle with about one that get pretty abandoned after three, I, I think four, five, and six are pretty excellent. Uh, and, and in fact, didn't remember, uh, so I didn't go back and re-listen to our conversation the first time we did scream four. I, I kind of like to keep a little distance before the conversation. Uh, and if I repeat myself a little bit, it's more accidental than intentional, but like, I really like part four a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it feels, uh, in, in the ways that we kind of, uh, went, uh, in depth on last week for three, um, this one feels very organic. The narrative does. Uh, it it feels like the, you know, while they while they didn't have yet in view what would be the five and six kind of resurgence, requel, whatever we want to call this this new iteration, um, it clearly is trying to to do and be and say something new and different in in the moment in which it came out mm-hmm. uh, than the originals might have, and I really respect it for that. I think. Uh, it's got a really strong final run, uh, which not every screen movie does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I don't know. I just, it'll be, I, I don't know yet how it'll place once, uh, we do our, our epilogue come into scream Ween of, of exactly how my list is going to shake out, but, but yeah. four, four is solid. Like it is, you know, whatever, whatever sort of nineties isms might be present in scream one that might you know, again, be either nostalgic or weigh it down. Uh, this one really kind of stands on its own at the same time that it speaks to the whole series. So I, I really dig for. That's awesome. Um, okay. So uh, coming in with uh, a hot take, uh, not necessarily, I don't think it's going to be that hot or controversial. So when I first saw Scream 4, I, I liked it a lot, like liked it quite a bit. Um, was very, very happy with it following my pretty lackluster feelings about three. Three was always the one that I just sort of like forgave and included and all that other kind of stuff. Um, so I thought four, especially because it had been so long since we'd had an installment in the franchise. So at this point, I was like, I was just excited we were returning back to it. I was like, oh, okay, so three wasn't it. Now, now we're coming back. Uh, do want to pour a cold one out for this? What this was officially. Wes Craven's final film. So he he died of uh, succumbing to uh, a fight with brain cancer shortly after this. Quick side note, and then I'll get back to my uh, uh, story about Scream 4. Uh, we led a small group in our house uh, of just some friends and uh, couples that would come over and just, it was largely just hang out, uh, talk faith, talk life, talk all this other kind of stuff. And uh, one of those, uh, one of the members of that group was a... Um, I forget exactly what she did, but she worked at a facility that treated cancer patients. And casually at one point, we asked like, oh, but, you know, have you ever treated anybody famous? 
And at that point, she said, she said, uh, yes, as a matter of fact. And she even said, though she could not divulge, she said, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, there's one person who, you know, we're seeing right now that if you if I told you who they were, you would absolutely know who they were. A couple years after they had passed, she revealed that that was Wes Craven who was coming to her facility. And she said he was a a lovely individual, uh, obviously very burdened by uh, his illness, uh, but said he was always very kind and, and very lovely to all the staff and everything, which which heartened me because uh, I love the guy and, and his films, uh, most of them. But back to Scream 4. Um, so uh, when we were getting Scream 4, I was super, super enthused just because I was eager to go back to it and see what it was like. I, I was enthused that all the original creative team was back. Kevin Williamson's back writing. Wes Craven is directing again. We've got the cast back. Um, I had my expectations curbed because of Scream 3, but when I went into it, I was like, yeah, that was that was really good. Like, I really liked it a lot, but it always sat at this place that was just kind of like, okay, I, I just really liked it a lot. Part of what I love about these franchise runs when we go through them is, is the way they can recontextualize a thing. Scream 4, cutting to the chase, I freaking love it. Uh, like it rose so much in my estimation, this viewing, I think, uh, kind of to your kind of to what you were talking about, Nathan, about the way it's constructed. Dare I say, uh, I think this is one of the singularly strongest scripts in the franchise. Now, I'm going to have to rewatch five and six. Uh, but I think of the four that we've already done, I think Scream four is one of the best scripts i do think the original has so much invention and has a lot of ingenuity to it that gives it bonus points but um this is such a well-constructed script uh there's lots of little lines early on that when you know what's coming uh are like oh wow you were you were just putting it out there right there uh my favorite example of it is in her very first scene hayden penitieri uh when kirby is she's seeing jill come to the car and as jill is walking to the car she says before you get in the car you have to promise not to kill me and i'm like oh that's that's great because <laughs> she's the killer so um anyway i just love this my last comment of, of pouring affection on this is Vera, you and Denise have not had the chance to hear our Scream 3 episode yet, but uh, but I, I take it to task pretty... Um, uh, I don't know if I would call it viciously, but I take it to task. Here's my the last comment on this. The thing about Scream 3 is Courtney Cox's bangs. Oh, man. They're awful. <laughs> They're terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I take Scream 3 to task pretty well. This is my comment, and this is the, you know, the potentially most controversial thing I'll say on this. I feel like Scream 4 is Scream 3. I feel like this is what Scream 3 should have been, that if you erase, I'm not suggesting we do this, it's fine, it's in the franchise, but if you were to erase Scream 3, and let's imagine that Scream 2 was 97 and you didn't get another thing until 2011, it is pretty much seamless. If you jumped right from 2 into this one, you can imagine that all of these people have progressed on the path that they were on, and here they are, and it is also engaging with the conversation about movies in a far more interesting way than Scream 3 was. Um, it takes our characters to lots of the same progressions that Scream 3 kind of did, but does so in a more organic and uh, more cohesive way. So this was the first time this stood out to me in this viewing, where I was like, this is Scream 3. Like, Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven got to come back and close. It's not a trilogy anymore. It's a franchise, but they got to close this trilogy with a de facto fourth part that only in a couple of lines give lip service to the fact that Scream 3 ever existed, but otherwise can stand on its own as a continuation of the franchise. If you wanted to just 
imagine a world where Scream 3 didn't exist, you could. And uh, so I love it all the more for that. So there's that. Listen, there's my take listen, on Scream 4. Listen, so, <laughs> you know, uh, a, a therapist friend of mine once said, uh, life is trading up problems. Hmm. And while I understand the 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 idea you're chasing there and and how it speaks to the uh strength of four to suggest the potential that we just retcon three as non-existent what that would mean the problem we would trade mm-hmm. there is we would not get parker posey delivering in scream three and that yeah. is not something i'm willing to trade so <laughs> understood know. Understood. I, I would like to jumping point- into Patrick Warburton's arms. Come on. <laughs> it's it's gold. It is comedy gold yeah. uh, in a movie that doesn't know it's quite a comedy. No. Uh, Denise, Indeed. what are you going to say? Well, I just would like to point out that the line, uh, don't get in the car unless you promise not to kill me. Jill didn't kill Kirby. Oh, that's true, mm. but she is a killer. She is one of the two killers. She didn't kill her, yeah, but she but she is one of the two killers. But I take your point. She is actually killed by uh, by uh, the boy from Signs grew up and did not have a a, a very uh, wholesome one of, adulthood. One of the Culkins, <laughs> yeah, right? One the, of them. the the youngest Culkin, I believe. <laughs> Kevin, uh, uh, I'll I'll hot take you another and say that I think uh, Emma Roberts as Jill is a is is in the top tier of the killers in the franchise she's great um, mm-hmm. i no lies know, by, by the time by the time she starts committing you're like oh my god this it's is great intense um yeah yeah cool. it's quite any great. any other sort of uh light-hearted touches we want to point to general likes dislikes before we get into some that ain't rights um your um, apple summary said that it was a star-studded cast and only mentioned like the three returning people but it is like a legit like cast of people that maybe at the time weren't like super super famous but have have gone on to be like lucy hale anna pack uh anna pasquin yeah hayden panettiere christian bell emma roberts allison brie anthony anderson adam brody and rory Culkin is his name. Rory Culkin. Did you mention yeah. Britt Robertson in there? You did, didn't you? No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, Britt Robertson. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, yeah. It's a lot. It is quite the star-studded cast. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of famous faces in here. Um I think I'll just briefly mention now this is this is not a this would ostensibly go into like one of our little quibbles and bits section. I don't this is not necessarily a ding. I do think it's a missed opportunity. When you have the opening that they have where you have three pairs of females, I think it would have been interesting and cool if at least one of those pairs had been dudes. Just one of them. Like, if it, it, you can make it the opening of Stab 7 if you want. You can make it the very beginning or whatever. I think it would have been kind of cool to vary that up just a little bit and have it be two dudes in there. They don't have to be of any particular station or you know they don't have to be gay they don't have to be you know roommates they don't have to be friends whatever but i just think changing it up a little bit strangers yeah well it could just be strangers but i think just changing it up a little bit would have been uh kind of interesting like i said not totally a quibble i'm throwing a lot of weight behind but a potential missed opportunity but anyway yes you just if one of them was gay he would have survived and everything yeah (laughs) that's true that's true yeah it's quite true what were you saying nathan 
What were you teasing me you for just, about my takes? You just, you just you gotta have men and everything, don't you? Just it's like just let the women <laughs> have a turn, read. Wow. I was, you know, I was about to say as I have a feminist poster behind me, is you know, we have fought for so long <laughs> to have our day. To get you just want to rip it away. By other women. It would be nice to have one guy in here. <laughs> That's so funny. No, I think it would be like because yeah. you know, yeah. lots of lots of we show lots of women getting killed. I want I want, you know, chop up some dudes too. I, I don't want them to show <laughs> up. An like, equal opportunity. Yeah, we save the best for last, and I'll be there are plenty of dudes killed at the end, so we save the best. Well, that is a good point. That is a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Before this gets any more awkward, um, all right, so any other sort of touch points we want to look at before we get into that? In rights, I'll say at least for me, I do really love how this film takes you know, turns the dial up. Like at this point, uh, you, you have scream one in 96, you've got this one 14 years, later, almost 15 years later. And so the, the gen one actors, they're, they're full on adults. Like these aren't, you know, even pretending to be teenagers, teenagers anymore. And I just love what that gives them the opportunity to do. And one thing I wrote down that I loved specifically is how David Arquette takes you know the the Dewey character, what could have been a kind of phoned in role over time, and really, really turns it into this lived in kind of performance. And specifically, the line where he just says, "He's," I think he's musing about the distance he's feeling from Gail, and he says something about a small town and a small town husband, like kind of, kind of self deprecating as he tries to sort of figure out his his relationship. And I, I don't know, I just really love. uh kind of the the work he does in this one specifically awesome okay y'all we've been you know we started to figure out the gender politics or read try to <laughs> you know, tip the apple card of the gender politics here and wow. <clears throat> um uh, uh lest we forget we're a horror show so i mean if it's if it's gory if it's gross if it causes you a fright it is time for the part of the show that we call that ain't right that ain't right. That ain't right. Just, just uh, waiting. Just no waiting. call and response in this one. That ain't right. It ain't right. Nothing right about it. No, it ain't right. No, it ain't right. No, that ain't right. It ain't right. It sure is telling it right. It sure is telling it right. That ain't right. That ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, Vera, why don't you? I thought you froze. <laughs> oh, I did too for a second. And then oh, I realized that he's doing a bit. To confuse you there. Nope. I was what just... clued me in is when he waved his hand. I was like, "Oh no, he's waiting." <laughs> yep, yep, just waiting. I've been waiting. Um. Uh. Okay, Vera, you go first. What is your topmost? That ain't right for Scream Four. What is my top? I didn't write one down, so now I have to think of one on the spot. Come okay, back to me. <laughs> Denise, what is your topmost that ain't right for Scream 4? Read. Um, what is your <laughs> topmost? <laughs> um, I think, um, you know, okay. So listening to the um, episode uh, for Scream 1, um re brought up um you know growing up as a pastor's kid and you know 
he had to basically sneak to watch scary movies and um you know i remember i was in high school when the birdcage came out and <laughs> i went to i went to go watch it but now I why can't parents, those guys be in the top of a scream a stab movie <laughs> right um but i went and watched that movie with my best friend but i told my parents i was going to go see oliver and company mm. <laughs> um as i am also a pastor's kid i don't think i made that clear um and mm. so um i have had to do a whole lot of reprogramming mm. on a lot of different things and um so because of that there are some things that i know have just been kind of accepted um as something that's funny to a lot of people that now i look at it and i'm like oh that's not that's cringy mm. um and that's the you know when they were in the cinema club uh talking um about you know the scary movies and uh sydney and gail were both there and um they say that you know you pretty much have to be gay to survive and the two of the boys are sitting next to each other and they look at each other and scooch apart Ooh, mm -hmm. you know because they didn't want anybody to think that they were gay mm. and um i know that just that did not sit well um with me just because of the reprogramming i've had to do and of course mm -hmm. with uh some of the clientele that i work with uh sure. as a therapist. um and so yeah i think for that's the thing that honestly that sticks out the most to me is that mm -hmm. there is a little bit of sexism and a little bit of slut shaming that's still there mm -hmm. um that's not all right uh but that's that's that stuck out to me yeah mm. yep uh vera do you have one i'm gonna defer yes. go ahead I do. Um, it's going, it's not going to be as, um, thoughtful as yours, Denise. Um, but it is towards the end when, spoiler alert, Jill, um, is revealed to be the killer and she, everybody is kind of taken down. And in order to sell that Rory, whose character's name I can't remember, was, Charlie. yes, thank you. The, the real killer, she like, like, she like, tortures herself i don't know how to describe it. like she beats herself up mm -hmm. um, and it's it's hard to watch like that's yeah rough. to say beats herself up is definitely an understating what that yeah, yeah. does to herself yeah yeah it's messed up it is... i was hoping she'd die when she went through the glass table but yeah yeah the it's only like that that scene is so interesting to me because i agree with you vera that it is it is difficult to sit through at the same time, the longer it goes on, on behalf of Emma Roberts and the character itself, I just start slow clapping. I'm like, wow, it's just still going. It's it's committed. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is one of the most committed things I have seen in this since Stu Mocker. Uh, like it is just still continuing to go. And she just absolutely demolishes herself. And I think it's one of the it, while at the same time, I agree that it is uncomfortable to sit through. I think it's part of what makes her really compelling an interesting character that she would put herself through that much. And especially for the reasons that she is, but I, I, you know, I, I totally agree. Mine, that was on my list as well. Um, so, so I have a, a super brief one and perhaps a silly jokey one, Nathan, after you go, but um, my super brief one is just Alison Brie lover to death, 
incredibly talented performer uh even you know has started to venture out in, in creative producing and writing and, and uh, i think she's even directed a piece or two as well so very very talented person but she plays this abominable agent in this who has that one line where she's like two girls butchered payday and i'm like wow <laughs> it's not even subtle anymore you're just literally like okay cashing in on the cashing in on the violence cashing in on the on the body count uh and i was like wow that is that is not right that is uh that that fully ain't right like i said i have a little jokey one but nathan i'll i'll defer and let you go first before i mention it i think that uh the one i won't mention because i'm pretty sure i used it in uh two years ago is jill shooting trevor straight in his junk uh there are a few more like you feel that moments than than that scene. Like, oh, uh, is what kind of happens here? Oh my god! Um, <laughs> the yelp that just emerges yeah. like you yeah, can't even stop yeah, yeah. it. Like it just it comes yeah. up. I'm I am female, and that happened, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do a similar <laughs> so yelp. Yep. Um, just things you don't do, Jill. And uh, but I was, I think this. The lad, the third act of this film is is very strong. Uh, I think if there's any weak part of the movie, it might be the stabathon that you know, just you know, rolling in the hay and the the just the set piece of it is a little doesn't work for me totally. But but that's you know, kind of small potatoes really, because I think this third act is so strong. And I think for me, this viewing three in Hayden Penetier her performance really stood out to me a lot, you know, like she, she, I think an initial take on this movie might be, Oh, she's the the cool girl. And Oh, you know, uh, Emma Roberts is the disaffected girl. Like, you know, you can type them if you want, but I really think there's, she's just really delivering quite well. And I don't envy uh, a creative type sometimes who are architecting, um, you know, uh, stories iterated out over a franchise like this of, of needing to, to not one up themselves, but to continually operate within a particular lane, but keep you keep it different enough. Uh, like that's that's hard. Um, and I think something that's different enough in this movie that is very arresting and very just disheartening when it happens is Charlie turning on Kirby. Yeah. Uh, that is a very just sad scene. Uh, uh, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's violent. Uh, it's disheartening. You're, you're in, um, this is me, uh, Randy going out and, and, uh, scream two personally, I don't like scream two as much as I do scream four, but it's that same kind of feeling. Like when that event is happening, you actively feel upset, you know, as a mm -hmm. viewer, you're like dead gum, that sucks. Uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, for me, for me, uh, Kirby's, um in scream four kirby's death uh is a is a that ain't right and yes i i love how you did that there yeah, it's like, like that? well mm-hmm mm -hmm. um i have yeah, a funny a one too after you read just saying oh, okay yeah 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 sure uh my my funny one is super nerdy completely nerdy but <laughs> when um we know that it is jill on the phone like grilling kirby on horror movie trivia and she's like what film started the slasher craze and then she lists at least two films that could be counted as the slasher the start of the slasher craze a possible third but then she says that the one that really started the slasher craze is peeping tom no no that ain't right peeping tom <laughs> did not start the slasher 
only Reed would know. No, <laughs> like, yes. It did not start the slash. <laughs> Told you, Denise. Like, yeah, yes, it predated Psycho. Yes, it was the first movie to start the the you know to put the film uh, in the audience into the killer's point of view. Of course, that was first, but just because it got there first doesn't mean it started the slasher craze. Who's seen Peeping Tom in this you know conversation? You know, like come on, like nobody. Have you? Of course, I've seen Peeping Tom, but, <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm just like they say, like Peeping Tom. Who amongst like, us has seen it? No one, but me. <laughs> but me. But I'm just like, but no, it ain't right because they say the question was that it started the slasher craze. No, it did not. So it ain't right. That's that's me. Yeah, hmm. that it is. It it literally ain't it right. Is incorrect. what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. yes, it is factually incorrect. So <laughs> yes, uh, my my funny one is when they're in the hospital. She she picked up a bedpan <laughs> and in 2011 <laughs> no hospital in the united states was using metal bedpans anymore huh. <laughs> thing i would they, never know they had way moved to plastic i hmm. used to work in a hospital various hospitals and uh 2003 was my first hospital job and there were no metal bedpans Right. Uh, maybe in the psych hospitals because mm. uh, you know no funding and all that stuff this but is... um metal bedpans is a horror trope they're never yeah. getting rid of them in horror this is this is what we call a willing <laughs> suspension of disbelief that sometimes you just choose that do i actually had that very thought was yeah. oh suspension of disbelief suspension Fine. of disbelief we're in a movie okay. it can be a metal bedpan i'll go with it <laughs> i do i do want to uh, as we part ways with that ain't right throw out um uh i think there's a number of really strong set pieces in this movie i think uh of all of them my favorite is the the final run but olivia's death is rough like that's yeah. that's a really clever smart story choice but in text mm -hmm. is like oh my god this is terrible yeah. Yeah. um and 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 I, that's i think that's just what i'll i'll have to see i'll have to test this statement against my rewatches of five and six as we get to them but that is what i'll give a lot of credit to four is it does there's a difference between up in the body count or <laughs> it's gorier or it's just more and extreme there's a difference between that and just more smartly using what you have hmm. and i think mm -hmm. this movie is really good at that uh it's like let's take the puzzle pieces we know we've got and and like find the ways to turn the dial ever so slightly on each of them so that the though the total image is similar to what you've known the the details of it are are pretty uh unique uh unique might be too strong a word but you know what i'm saying okay y'all yeah. did you squirm did you wince? Did you squint your eyes real tight? It was probably because of what we round here call That Ain't Right, Sydney. That sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Denise, Vera, you both are our guests. So uh, I I'm, I'm going to invite the, the either either of you um i can select if you want me to but either of you to kind of jump in if there's something about this film actually you know what i i, I take that back about inviting <laughs> either of you denise i'm gonna call on you because i'm very curious to hear what your experience was watching this for the very first time so i think all of us had seen it before 
Um, so yeah, what stood out to you about this movie and what it had on its mind? I'm just very curious to hear your thoughts, both with your professional background, um, and you know, your, your more, a bit more limited exposure to this franchise before seeing this film. So yeah, very curious, your thoughts. Um, well, I have a couple of little things, um, that stood out that were incredible. I mean, there's a, that's so right section, isn't there? Well, we don't do it every episode, but you can always toss one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So the bust of Henry Winkler in the hallway (laughs) of the, the high school. Fantastic. Yep. yep. Um, and then just because of personal preference, the Joshua tree poster in Jill's room. Also amazing. But, you know, in a new section that we like to call, what's the diagnosis? Oh, I love it. Yeah. So as I was, and they think, yeah, I'll (laughs) work on it. Um, But uh, there was, there's a couple of different arguments that could be made for various diagnoses for uh, Jill Mm. um, and even for Charlie. Um, But, you know, for Charlie, it's probably just a classic case of adjustment disorder. But um, with Jill, you know, some people would probably say, you know, either, uh, you know, probably a psychopath. Mm. not a sociopath because sociopaths actually, you know, have emotions. Mm. But um, I think that Jill can be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. Fascinating. Um, she hits all of the criteria, all nine of them. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yes. And so like inflated self-esteem, a grandiose sense of self-importance, um, craving admiration, um exploit exploitative relationships charlie um little to no empathy she (laughs) killed her own mother yeah um uh identity is easily disturbed can't handle criticism and you can see that when she you know she was shouting about the criticism and the look of rage on her face when she Mm. found out that sydney was alive she that was criticism of her work yeah lack of attachment and intimacy uh feelings of depression or emptiness when not validated um a sense of entitlement Mm. and can feel like others are envious of them or they may envy others so she obviously envied sydney Mm -hmm. because sydney got all that attention um but she also she wanted others to be envious of her um as she you know, the lone survivor, the hero. Right, right. So hitting all nine, all nine, which is not common. But so narcissistic <laughs> personality disorder for a Jill. Plus in narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> you get the gold star in narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. She is the poster child, literally, of uh, narcissism. Wow, that's fascinating. But I, th- I think that also speaks to uh, and I, I don't know how much of that kind of intentional thought went into like from a, from Kevin Williamson's perspective, but I do think that speaks to even accidentally how well constructed these characters are. Yes, the performers are doing an outstanding job, but I do think the new characters are all really well formed in ways that not all of the sequels uh, introduce fully formed characters to us out the gate. Um, but I think this particular installment does an exceptional job 
of introducing us to new people and they do feel like real people. They don't feel to me, don't feel like caricatures or carbon copies. They feel very uh I believe their beats and motivations. Somebody that I would throw in there, it's it's uh, a diversion from that. But I was impressed this time around uh, with how real Trevor feels to me. It feels like he could have easily been the write-off, cheating, cheesy, D-bag boyfriend. But he has some emotions in there that would be antithetical to a character like that. I'm thinking of the moments like... I actually love the little exchange where he walks back in after Kirby and Charlie have had an almost moment and he walks back in and then sits down to like, oh, I love this, like sits down to watch the movie. He's just effortlessly enjoying the film. And then when Charlie walks away, he's like, wait, did I, did I just interrupt something right here? Like, <laughs> like what? I just I loved some of his reactions that i feel like would not have been necessary it's, it's just more fully formed as a as an actual person than just a stare a series of stereotypes um and i think you denise have identified uh even in the killer where jill is going to just go completely off the walls at the end it's still cohesive to a certain strain of thought again as you put it all nine qualities being rare to to uh to mark the checkbox for but no i think that's very astute i uh i appreciate that i appreciate that analysis and insight um vero what do you think about this film it is my second favorite of the franchise wow um scream one beating it only because of nostalgia quite frankly sure sure um but yeah i think i echo everything that that you've said is that it is well acted. It is well written. Um, it is like a return to form for the franchise. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I I appreciate it for what it is. I'm glad it exists. Yeah, nice. So, uh, Nathan, unless you're sitting on something, I'll, I'll keep you. Are you sitting on something? A chair. Besides a chair, are you sitting? I wasn't <laughs> gonna do it. I wasn't gonna do it, Vera. That long pause you felt there was me. Yeah. Like, do I do it? Yeah, do Vera's, I do it? Vera's got you your back. Did it for me, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, you know, you you are yes, but I also want to be sensitive to you know. No, no, no. I'm inviting. I'm inviting. I'll have opportunity to share my thoughts. So I'm inviting. What you got? I think that, uh, and I do think this is intentional. But one of the one of the thematic strengths of this movie, and 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 that really. Again, I'll have to kind of test this against a five and six rewatch uh, eminently, but that raises it above most of the whole run is the the thematic through lines and how it feels like in 96 Scream, they did a great job constructing a strong scene between two dickish characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why the stew billy stuff works it's it's just a really well executed bit of of kind of scripting and 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 construction but it's not a button on or a a realization of thematics it's just kind of a story punctuation mark Mm -hmm. Uh, i think what's so powerful about four is what jill uh executes is is a thematic uh, realization as well it's both of those things and 
something that I think is really powerful in this movie is is just it's it's not a throwaway line, but it's delivered. You know, it's it's you could sort of blink and you miss it, but it, it's there. And I think it's relatively early. Uh, but Dewey says one generation's tragedy is the next one's joke. Mm. And and there is kind of a if you know, like Alison Bree's doing a bit of a higher comedy sort of uh, piece a little bit in this. But overall, it's a more earnest, earnest take uh, in in the franchise. And and I think there's a somberness to it. I think there's a oh, my God, why are we still having to deal with this kind of aspect to it? But not in a like, oh, oh not again, but in a just like, <laughs> holy cow, really? Um, and I think there's just something really important to, well, I'll frame it this way. You know, we're all of at least approximately relatively similar age. Uh, and I don't know if this happens to y'all sometimes, but there are times where the burden of watching um, others make jokes of others' tragedies is is just exhausting, mm. if this makes sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, watching others cynically appropriate others' misfortune uh, gets... Honestly, if you're being real honest, pretty defeating. It's like mm-hmm. you 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 want to kind of throw up your hand sometimes of like, oh look, they put up decorations of Ghostface. Yeah. Cool. You know, mm-hmm. like what are we gonna do? Like it's so overwhelming the weight of trying to trying to staunch that tide is is a very nearly impossible task it feels like sometimes uh i'm thinking specifically some of the stuff i listen to like I, I haven't read this book but i do have it in the house one of the newtown parents uh uh wrote and and just watching you know it feels like uh uh newtown um that tragedy is sort of the it's an access point if you study some of this stuff it's an access point of myths and disinformation era in in our country uh and 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 so i've observed just through some of the the outlets i listen to uh over time people interact with some of those parents and 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 hear from them and and watch how they've had to suffer you know the initial suffering is is traumatizing enough much less the the residual suffering that in this movie's words uh one generation's tragedy is the next one's joke the ability to uh, capitalize on like literally monetarily uh, the tragedy of others in a very cynical way. And so there's just something interesting to me that this movie decides to choose to lean in on. And that to me is pretty uh, laudable. Um, you know, we, we can maybe talk through if we want to kind of how that plays out towards the end or how well or not it, it lands that particular plane. But you know, just watching this character be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's it's not just um, it is appropriating tragedy. I mean, just mm-hmm. in effect, it is it is saying that person who who suffered by incident and accident, I'm going to seek to kind of emulate and seek to puff up and seek to appropriate into a a form. I don't want to say a fame. I mean, though, that's part of it. But that feels too too empty and light for what i'm trying to say which is just you know 
using that for one's own gain and that's a that's a really right tragic sort of thing to to watch play out well and and you brought up about us all being of a similar age and and i think the reason why that hits differently at our age is because we've all experienced tragedy Mm. of of some sort to some degree whether it's our own or someone close to us you know um with our you know being the age that we are even 9 11 a collective you know uh, trauma yeah. and so we you know we've all experienced it and so watching that play out where you can identify because of your own personal tragedy is if someone made a joke of that and that could be why it's it's more difficult than it is. And you even see it play out in the very end um, where, you know, they're talking about how, yeah, the killer is always right behind you. And that's her own personal tragedy. And she turns around and shoots Jill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she even realized her own tragedy had to live through it again so she could survive. Mm she could come out of darkness wow to to quote the book by uh sydney prescott so uh, <laughs> but i think but i think what's interesting about i have experienced uh and i think these are two different things please forgive me for how clunky this expression is about to be i do think there is a way in which good i'm going to call it good-natured humor can hold a restorative and healing power and I think that's that's not what we're describing or what the film is displaying about the the dangers there. The film is, you know, very much the minimizing. The, I think I think what you uh, were describing there, Nathan, and what you elaborated on, Denise, is is just the 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 minimizing and reductivism of saying like, oh yeah, that 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 pain, that trauma, that whatever. That's just that's nothing. Uh, and and it's not only necessarily a punchline that can minimize that. Sometimes the reductive dismissal of like walk it off or oh you know get over it you know or or um, you know common phrases that imply that trauma or tragedy should merely be brushed off, endured, muscled, and powered through. And the way we kind of uh, can idolize that to a degree, to where we say like oh yeah, don't be the victim, you know. Uh, and and I think. There is, though, a way in which, like I said, good-natured humor can diffuse the sting, can diffuse the the power of it. But that always, I think, comes in a in first and foremost from relationship. Like, I don't ever want anybody who doesn't know my story cracking jokes about my story. I'm not going to find that healing or restorative. But those close to me might be able to crack a joke about it. Uh, I'm thinking. Uh, of particularly this may hold some memory and resonance for you denise but i'm thinking of like that moment in the film steel magnolias where at the end after that tragedy uh for people who haven't seen the film steel magnolias there's a character who is grieving the loss of a loved one and after they've ranted very heartfelt and emotionally uh then at the end of it the diffusion i'm not going to spoil the film but the diffusion is a, a friend of theirs cracks a joke and the joke is in that moment incredibly restorative. It is it is rooted in love. It is rooted in a heartfelt camaraderie. And I think there can be this this dismissive way where pe- when people try to crack jokes, but it's not in a good natured spirit, 
and other people find offense to that or other people take umbrage to that, then there's others out there like, oh, you can't. I'll say it this way. Okay, maybe this is a little bit more clear. I don't like to be teased. I have never liked it. So whenever I am teased, there is always this little bristle of me of like, why are you making fun of me? <laughs> like, like, why, why would you like, I, you know, I, I bristle always whenever I'm teased to a certain degree and what can often and you're be, still friends with Nathan. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's really amazing. Um, but I always bristle. I am a very good friend. Okay. <laughs> it is true, but um, I, I, I bristle. Yes, exactly. Duh, duh, duh. I bristle. Oh, no, I meant bit. tear, not tear. But oh, that's funny. Ah, there it is. There <laughs> it is. Um, but uh, there is. It, it does hit differently when the person teasing me or the person ribbing me, where it is rooted in some sensitivity of relationship, that hits differently than somebody who just casually knows me and like the way they get to know people is by putting them down or insulting them i'm always just like oh this is what what's going on that you <laughs> that the way you need to become friends with me is to is to uh you know mock my appearance or put me down like i don't i don't know why that is something that people still do and i feel like uh it, that's a lot of what when people go through this is what upsets me about some of the cultural and social things that you're talking about nathan is i hate it hate it when a people group or something that a people group is going through becomes a meme. I, I really despise that trend when suddenly it is reduced to a punchline um, because it is a way for other people to avoid sympathy for what is happening, to put their mind and heart inside that meme and then scroll past it. Like, oh, yep, dude, we're just going to scroll past it. And, uh, and I'm bothered by that as a mentality i'm bothered by the people who can so easily and quickly package that there and then just uh brush it away um i wanted to kind of respond to to that moment but i have i have one more thing that i wanted to point out is there any other thoughts on that before we leave it mine would be sort of branching off from it but would take us in a different direction so i don't want to if anybody else has more to comment on that i want to just take a beat nope um well i yeah, yeah i do yeah. actually yeah um, yeah, yeah go ahead and I'll be quick. No, you're um, fine. But uh, I, uh, for those listeners who are unaware, I'm a therapist. Uh, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I've been doing it for over 15 years, yada, yada. Mm. Um, and one of the things that makes me a good therapist, which, you know, like Nathan is a very good friend. I am a very good therapist. Um, and uh, one of the things is because I do have a sense of humor. Mm. Yeah. And um, I am able to, you know, make someone feel more comfortable being just because I, I've got a sense of humor. I'm not going to joke about your tragedy. I'm not going to joke about um, what you're going through. But we we will we will laugh sometimes. Mm -hmm. And there is a restorative quality to that for sure. There's a reason why there's a cliche that says laughter is the best medicine. Right. Right. Uh, there, there's a reason for that. Um and so just you know a therapist approved nice no that uh, no that that makes a lot of sense well the, 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 i'm i'm also the, the reason i'm a very good friend is i have a good sense of humor too denise and so it's you know it's it just kind of carries forward. and hopefully a good therapist 
Hopefully, I'm a good therapist. I mean, you know, no. not no, no, fresh no. Have a good point. therapist. Oh, oh. Yes. yes. Hopefully, you have a good therapist. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm glad you're here, Denise. Uh, so, <laughs> speaking of which, he rolls out a big. You know, Settle like roll something. the decks of things. Settle something here for us. Uh, I'll direct I do, I do, you to my website. Okay, okay, do that. Um, I'll give you a click. Um, I, I do want to be uh, at least nuanced a little bit. So at least for me, just because some of the, the language steered this direction, I, I think for me, the one generation strategy becomes another one's joke had less to do with... Uh, um, uh, humor as much as it had to do with a a sort of cynical uh, hmm. uh, robbing of of weight. You know, it, it's yeah. Uh, you could probably term it a cynical detachment. Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, Good way to put it. Yeah, unable to empathize with the people that are standing right in front of you. So, like a cynical detachment. Let's have fun with this. Sure. Yeah, I think of it like I think this movie was ahead of its time in terms of how it thinks about and talks about um, media and how it can make people detached from real life tragedies that have occurred. Mm -hmm. um, and also the ways in which people are and lengths that people are willing to go to in order to seek clout. And um, and I think of like true crime. As an example, yeah. like there's a, a bajillion and one true crime podcasts out there, and a lot of them are pretty exploitative to the um, people who went through the tragedies that they talk about. Yeah. Um, and it is because I think that they are so detached that they maybe forget that, like, you know, that it's true crime, but do you know that that means real people? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I've, I've said this before, I risk. I, I, yeah, I risk I risk beating it to death to say this, but but I do get bothered by the by the the stories of real tragedies. Those are those are hard for me to digest when I hear about what really happened to real people. And I've said this before. I think I said it on our on our Redux episode of Scream for this franchise. But like, yeah, it just I I, I can line up twenty slashers in a row and will re be relatively unfazed by what I see on screen. But it does not take more than one or two briefly written news stories about violence happening to a real person somewhere and i i grow much more upset by by that reality than than i ever do anything that happens in the in the fantasy but what's the 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 kind of branch off that i find interesting i will need to rewatch five and six before i completely rest my weight here but there is a there is a strong possibility that the final beat of Scream 4 may land as my favorite final moment of any installment of the franchise. I love, love, love with a capital L that Sydney and Dewey and Gail and uh, God, what's his deputy's name? Jill? No, Judy. Jill's the killer. Jul Judy, yes. Um, Deputy Judy. They're all kind of nursing their wounds and resting, having survived in the quiet in the distance and then what we are left with and i think it's very intentional is jill has died but what are the reporters outside yeah. saying the reporters yeah. outside are commenting on like she's her story's an inspiration to us all because they don't know what's transpired inside 
And the last they heard, she was the sole survivor of this big massacre. And I think that that ending on that note was incredibly intentional. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it is it, it resonates with me profoundly in the way that Jill, the character, has tried to manufacture this fame for herself, manufacture this story for herself, putting herself through all of these uh, personal wounds, throwing herself backwards through a glass table and everything that she does to herself to try to manufacture this moment uh, of inspiration and try to manufacture this moment of recognition. And, uh, And I do find it really, really compelling in this culture that we have where the persona that you put forward and the the way that you have to uh, present yourself is so much more important to people than how you really are and who you really are and what really happened to you. That's endlessly fascinating to me that there's this, this addiction we have to the way we are perceived. Um, and there's this addiction that we have to you know, we st- talked about it a little bit on our Scream 2 episode about theatricality and the way we uh, sort of perform for everyone. But I think this one, kind of branching off of that a little bit, and, and the reason I say it could be a de facto Scream 3, maybe cast Parker Posey somewhere in there. She give it, She can be a, a cast member somewhere. Um, <laughs> but uh, I feel like this one is a lot more about perception, and it's a lot more about what is the intake of what's happening to everybody else around you? And uh, and I find that really, really fascinating because perception has a, a really powerful influence over uh, – I'm only using I'll, – I'll say this and then I'll shut up and invite uh, feedback. Um, there's – this is the easiest go-to example. It's a very, very brief hit and you miss it kind of, uh, kind of example. It just – coincidentally happens to be political so everybody just forgive me and bear with me for a second but there's a a a meme going around uh sharing gas prices and then with a picture of of president biden saying i did that you know like with gas prices soaring and and all of that uh not realizing that in the raw economics of it the president holds profoundly little power over the gas price he can do very, very little to either raise it or lower it. He can pressure people who could do something, but he can't do anything. But it's the perception of the thing. That's the whole reason I'm citing the example, not to defend anybody or accuse anybody. But the perception of the thing is when that meme gets shared, then suddenly that perception runs ubiquitous uh, across time and spaces. And I fear that's one of the things we are in real danger of is when a perception like Pandora's box just unloads and and runs wild, the ability to successfully pull that perception back is, I mean, it's climbing Mount Everest, if not impossible, to pull that perception back and say like, hey, uh, that's not really what what it is. And I think that is crystallized for me in these final moments that we know Jill to be the killer. We know her to be, uh, uh, what is it, Denise, a nar- narcissistic Personality disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder. Um, But meanwhile, the perception remains of her as the sole surviving heroine uh, who is an inspiration to us all. And I just I find that endlessly fascinating. I don't know if that rings a a bell for anybody else, but I think that's really, really interesting. Jill says in the movie, one of her lines is you don't have to achieve anything in order to get famous. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that's essentially what happens to her in this movie, right? Like her goal is to just become a victim mm-hmm. of circumstance like Sydney was in order to get the fame that Sydney had. Um, yeah. And in the end, she doesn't achieve her goal. She she dies. She perishes. Right. Um, but gets what she wanted. And that's, that's great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's really, really good. I also well, think, I think about... Oh, no, you go ahead, Nathan. I've talked to you. No, I was just going to say, I think, you know, um, the more I ponder it, the more this film, this this entry in the franchise does so far um best something that i i feel like we've at least pointed to before with scream which is that its strength is the fact that anyone can wear the mask which is a a dark inversion of you know spider-verse but this movie is basically one of the first that's taking that theme to task it is Mm -hmm. it is because because most of them it's just about sort of a, a, a schlocky killer romp, right? That, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of, uh, I'm not saying there's nothing there. I am saying it doesn't uh, care to get deep. Um, and, yeah. and this one is, is at least up to now, one through four, uh, the only one that is actually like, oh yeah, here's what we have. Here's what we're, what we can play with. Sure. And that's what is, you know, uh, the power someone holds you know we we uh read for we haven't covered five on the show but you and i've talked about five before and how yeah when one of those killers gets revealed you're like okay this isn't physically possible that that <laughs> this killer is I, I don't personally care that much but but it does stand out this movie is basically saying okay now you're missing the point if that's what we're getting hung up on because the point is it's about obscuring oneself. It's about manipulating reality to achieve mm-hmm. a particular outcome. Uh, and that's, you know, effectively what this particular entry is about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every single kill had a purpose. Whereas with some of the others, it was just a, oh, you got in my way or, oh, mm. this could be fun to kill this person. But, you know, there was a plan. You know, she, every single person, every single kill had a purpose for yeah. Jill. Mm. Um, maybe not so much for Charlie, but for yeah. Jill, every single kill had a purpose, e- you know, even her mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really that, chilling. That's interesting. I hadn't oh, a thing you just highlighted and he said hadn't totally occurred to me is up till now it's let's chase Sydney, you know? And so there's a singularity, uh, a singleness of purpose to the goal. Uh, whereas this one, you know, Sydney really is a bit immaterial to Jill's goal. Like she's trying to replicate a particular sort of pattern uh, at, that mm-hmm. that ultimately will will involve Sydney. But it's mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's too like she wants to overshadow Sydney and to an extent to hurt her because she does try to frame her at one point by putting the stuff in the trunk of her car. Right? Like mm-hmm. there is a extreme bitterness in her for the fact that she doesn't have the celebrity that her cousin has and Mm -hmm. like that it's such a shallow want but it's so common like like i said ahead of its time like like i can think of tons of quote-unquote influencers who don't understand the gravity of the things that they do 
because mm. all they're trying to do is is get more famous, get more likes, get more views, whatever their goal might be. But it's so shallow. Like yeah. who, uh, who, Johnny Somali is a again influencer who is a just garbage person. Like mm. will do things to make people uncomfortable, to make people feel scared, to just anything he can do to get people to like rage click on his stuff. Wow. And to the point where now he's been arrested in Japan mm. because of basically Japan just had enough of his crap and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and they've arrested him. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, like it, he didn't die like Jill did. But that's kind of where this mentality leads, right? Like you just keep one up in yourself until you make yourself go away. Mm. I love the way mm. you put but, that. But yeah. the damage left in that pursuit. Yeah. Is the, the, the true problem. Exactly. Well, yeah. and that, that speaks to a line in the movie, actually, where I think it was Gail talking to... Um, Oh, the guy with the camera. Yeah. Uh, and, Robbie. Uh, Robbie. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, where she asks, you record your whole life and put it on the internet. And he says, yeah, everyone will be doing it one day. Mm. Mm -hmm. Ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah. This was 2011. That is, that is so mm -hmm. on point because while that was emerging enough that they could, you know, thoughtfully project it 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 wasn't what we see today but oh my god that is that is absolutely what we see today i think as well about you know i i, I gave some lip service to her character earlier but even in, apart from the influence and fame aspect just success and um opportunism that sydney's agent has and that moment where when sydney comes out and, and and for Sydney's character, this is all happening again. And we have to protect each other and we have to catch these people and we have to survive this. And that's what Sydney's goal is. And I love that little exchange. It's a brief one, but I love that little exchange when following the emergence of these new tragedies, Sydney's agent has then gotten like new book deals, name your price kind of kind of figures and everything. And I love the moment when Sydney just looks at her and says, Did you even did you even read my book? And we don't we the the audience of Scream Four don't have to have read her book to understand like yes yeah, she didn't write this to become famous she was already famous Scream Two she was getting prank calls because she's the inspiration for the stab movies um, so she didn't write that to to get famous she wrote it with an intention and a desire presumably a very sincere one to help people and to help uh, you know come through and and walk through the the tragedies and the traumas in their lives and i think this film is very interestingly aware of the ways in which the landscape of opportunity for us to capitalize on uh you know what we see before us uh the way we would seize that opportunity and try to leverage it for ourselves um is ultimately to our peril i think vera you made that point very effectively that that's like the more we try to pursue that, it's just it's just going to consume us. It's just going to eat us alive. Um, 
Well, okay. So uh, this is the moment at which I will say, you know, like we we have two more little segments to do. But before we leave the the heartier conversation, I just want to give a, a a brief opportunity. If there's anything, any aspect of this film that somebody's like, oh nope, I came uh, ready to discuss this and haven't had the opportunity. If not, we'll go to our Ghostface Kills Hall of Fame and Fog Meter and wind it down. But does anybody have anything to throw onto the Scream Four Love or the Scream Four Pile before we do that? Nope. Okay. All right, Nathan, introduce us to the. Ghostface Kills Hall of Fame. Yes. As Reed just mentioned, it is time <laughs> to go to the Hall of Fame. The Ghostface Kills Hall of Fame. Uh, important caveat here. I'm going to run down the list of uh, Ghostface Kills, which is different than person who at one point in the movie wore the Ghostface mask kills. So that is our caveat here. I'm going to go down your list of options here. Once I go down this list of options, each of us is going to elect uh, a candidate to put in the sorting hat, a.k.a. to submit to the Hall of Fame. And come uh, Screamoween epilogue time, Reed and I are going to rank the Ghostface Hall of Fame, uh, Ghostface Hall of Fame of Kills, whatever we want to term this. Um, there's a, there's a something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, I think it's basically there. Um, there's a decent body count in this movie. Uh, and yes, I did include uh, the the stab scenes Good. at the top of the movie as Ghostface Kills. Um, so, uh, topmost scene of the movie is Sherry and Trudy, mm-hmm. the opening teaser, teen girls, the Facebook stalker with the little half flip phone thing, whatever that was at 2011. <laughs> um, so Sherry and Trudy, which are the opening <laughs> teaser stab girls. Uh, next is Marnie, who is Julie Taylor's buddy in the post first stab. Yes. Stab. Britt Robinson. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, she's killed and then thrown through a window and in, into the house. That's what happens. She gets thrown into the house, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that's different. Um, then, yes, it's Julie Taylor. Uh, slash Jenny, her her character's name slash Amy Teagarden. Uh, she's stabbed in the back. She falls down the stairs. She drags herself to the garage door. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, nice callback. Bit of an inversion of Scream One. Uh, mm-hmm. She's squished this time under the garage door, not caught in the cat door. Uh, she's dragged back in. Dragged back in. She's stabbed. Uh, as the name of the movie and the movie implies, and then it cuts to the title scene. Um. Next on the list in stab four is Scream Four. <laughs> See, that's what happens. <laughs> oh, that's right. You know what? I just tripped over my own rules here. I was like, where's Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin? Oh, not yeah, ghost, no. not, not Ghostface. Um I, so mm, mm, uh mm. Ghostface kills what? Mm. No, no, but okay. finish your list. Uh Olivia. The neighbor, the friend, she's on the phone with Jill. I think this is a great. I'm I'm teasing uh, a little bit here, but um, uh, of of possibilities here. You, you know, all of these are up for grabs. I think this is a great setup. I love the closet sort of interplay here with everybody. You know, one person's on the phone with the other person. The other person's on the phone with the other person. It's a really good uh, set piece here. So she's on the phone with Jill. She's killed from across the street while Jill and Kirby watch uh, from. From, from across the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is um, Allison Brie, Rebecca, the agent. She's taunted in the parking garage. The car won't start. Ghostface lands on the hood. 
I don't know, is Spider-Man all of a sudden? Yeah. Uh, and then, or Batman, you know, uh, uh, and then disappears. She gets out of the car. Bad move. Uh, Rebecca, she runs. Yeah. She turns around just as Ghostface runs at her and right in the gullet. Uh, yeah. And then she doesn't watch the stab movies. That's why. She yeah. The yeah. Then she's thrown from the roof of the parking deck and just, you know, chef's kiss here for jill or charlie they they land her perfectly on the news van um Mm -hmm. clearly jill then you have yes (laughs) then you have uh haas the cop played by adam brody uh he comes back to check on perkins played by anthony anderson and he's stabbed in the back then you have perkins the other cop uh he stabs straight in the head totters out of the car falls to his knees says bruce willis he falls over and he's dead uh then you have (laughs) president laura roslin a.k.a. Aunt Kate, a.k.a. Mary McDonald. She's stabbed in the back through the mail slot in the door. Now, that's innovation. Um, uh, last ghost face kill in this movie is Robbie. Uh, at Kirby's, messing with the head camera, opens the front door, boom, ghosty, stabs him. Mm-hmm. He turns, gets stabbed again. Uh, it is worth mentioning. I already tripped over it. Uh, Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell, other kills in the movie. Kirby, um, that one's that one's rough. And then I just want to shout out um, uh, just when when Jill stabs Charlie, like in in the in the spirit of Stu and Billy, mom and dad are going to be so upset with me. I mean, his line, this isn't how he rehearsed it is. Oh, yes. Terrible. Oh, my yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's rough. Oh, Yeah. So before we get to nominations, okay, uh-huh. we haven't done this yet, but I'm going to defer to the vote, to the collective vote. We can do this really quickly, but I, I, I would like us to, we four and majority can rule whether consideration for the Anna Paquin death, even though it's not, it's not ghost face kill. I get it, but uh, I would like to, for us to vote if, if consideration is worthy of Anna Paquin, Trevor and Charlie. And I will defer if everybody's like, nope, not wearing the mask. It's shot down. Or if we're like, ah, that's a pretty good kill. Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah. I, I vote no, because right. you're uh, more than midway through uh, the stream and you're wanting to change the rules. Read. Uh, um, yes. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So could- it, it leaves a lot of kills from maybe the previous movies that should oh. be also considered. Okay. That you are now not. All right. Well, your vote no. All right, Nathan. I'm presuming you would. How would you vote? I'm not going to presume. There, there it is. There it is. Uh, <laughs> so I am open to a wild card entry, uh, but it would be a it would be a sidebar of best scream franchise kills. Uh, I am not. Uh, hmm. I, I, I feel like we hmm. we 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 set out to make a list of top Ghostface kills, and that is what i think we should stick to that is all right all right vera what say you yeah you can do maybe an honorable mention of just general kills but keep it ghost face all right you can't retcon the episodes you already did <laughs> but okay. Reed, to 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 honor your ask if you're throwing a wild card in here that is going to be sidebar bracket uh of of scream franchise kills <clears throat> what would you pick well i would uh I would dismiss Charlie. I mentioned Charlie because he dies, but I would dismiss Charlie. It's it, it is you know memorable, but not uh, profoundly so. The Anna Paquin death, 
has so many layers to it uh, bec- because a it's not a real person in this universe in the in the fictional scream universe it's not real uh, but it is very surprising and it is very memorable. Uh, so I was going to make a case for some love for Anna Paquin and make a case for <laughs> my God, the poor guy for Trevor. Uh, but uh, was willing to defer because we said we said early on. And what's funny, Vera and, and Denise may not know this. We debated some degree of time beforehand, Nathan and I, about like, okay, do we make it Ghostface kills and wearing the mask? And it was precisely because through the run of the franchise, you know, like Derek dies by Mickey's hand in Scream 2, but it was, uh, it, you know, he was not wearing the mask at the time that he did it. This installment is the first time that there has been enough, to Denise's point, I'm midway through stream, but this has been the first time that I've been willing to raise my hand to try to make a case for one, because I think the kills are so memorable. The previous ones, I was like, that's not memorable enough for me to fight for. These are. And so I'm like, ah, I would love to at least have a conversation about it. But uh but was willing to I mean, defer you can you know hey make a make a, a secondary list that scream scream franchise kills <laughs> oh don't invite uh, lackey and- the listicle to do that because he will he will rank yeah. every kill in the scream franchise when veronica mars stabs rogue that was very shocking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was honor of arendelle stabs well at rogue. the time I mean, she was on. veronica mars oh, that's fair so. that's fair okay <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> nice vera nice <laughs> All right, <laughs> voted down and deferred. So those okay, are our kills. so right. after that uh, diversion, um, Ghostface kills Hall of Fame. Denise, who are you submitting to the Sorting Hat for the Ghostface kills? Who is your candidate of choice? I'm giving you top pick. If you want to defer, you I, can. If you I wanna... know there's there's three of them that I'm struggling to pick through. I mean, of course, the first, you know, I want to say Olivia because it was so horrific. And I want to say the mom because, again, that's so horrific. But I think I'm going to go with um, the stabbing in the head um, with the cop. Yes. And uh, because what area of the brain that's affected by being stabbed in the head like that is exactly what happens to him as he's dying (laughs) and you know the the sporadic talking the you know bruce willis and you know that that's that's what happens so that i and it's brutal and it's brutal you know what's yeah. really funny about you saying that is on our first I don't remember a ton about our first Scream 4 conversation but I do remember me being like what this doesn't make any sense how are you stabbed straight through the skull with a knife and he's still I again suspension of disbelief I was able to go with it, but you were just like no that is what would happen if you got jammed it is, through the it is, forehead it is quite accurate yes. six inch knife well, had he, he survived he would have had memory loss but he yeah, wasn't he, Willis, so he can't survive. Well, he, exactly. He <laughs> he would have struggled with like simple things in life, like putting a jacket on when it's cold and saying no and things like that. But it, yeah, had he survived, but he mm-hmm. didn't. But he did so. not. All right. All right. Perkins it is. Into the sorting hat. Vera, what about you? Um, I'm gonna go with mom through the mail slot. That's just that's rough. It's it's unpleasant. It also gave me um, men flashbacks to the mail slot. Ugh. Remember that movie? 
I, I remember men. I don't remember the male side. I don't want to remember it though. So don't, don't remind me. <laughs> I will <anybody>. not recall <laughs> for you. <laughs> oh God. What a gross movie. Uh, now, read what now what's, what's interesting. This is not worth a conversation, but I, I just want to mention it. I, I thought this, when you said it, Nathan, I would need to go back before I'm going to put any profound weight. I don't think there's a mail slot. I think it's just through the door. No, I don't. And I could be wrong about that. I do the mail slot. Okay. I, yeah, I'm, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> I do know that she's sitting you there. should have done yeah. a stump yeah. read. At half I know. Much. I know. I just, I, my, my memory of it is not being through a mail slot. And the reason I'm even pointing it out is because I remember thinking, it would have been easier if it had been through a mail slot because there would have already been a, a, a flap open for it. Right. But instead, I think the force is through the door just straight to her it's head. But it's, it's not. It's not. It's, it's a mail, mail slot. slot. There's three, and, three to but, one, so I'm clearly wrong. But where Nathan was wrong is he said that she got stabbed in the back through the mail slot, but it was through the head. It's through the back of the head. Yes. Yeah. That is well, true. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I mean into the back of one's body uh, my apologies for uh, you know mis mislabeling that particular part that part so we've got um Man. we've got perkins goodness gracious get get us <laughs> out of here i'm falling asleep and uh, <laughs> wow dude checked on body parts um uh we've got perkins we've got Ooh. uh okay. mom and then reed did you pick you haven't picked one yet no i haven't picked um so i i am gonna go with I am going to hope that you this happened. Uh, it, it failed me on Scream 2 and I didn't <laughs> pick one and then nobody picked the other one that I was thinking of. So I was like, ah, oh, crap. But uh, I'm going to go with the one that that truly does stand out to me and hope that, Nathan, you pick my other one. But I don't know. Uh, I am going to go with the agent, uh, Rebecca Walters. I think that garage scene is really suspenseful. Uh, I think her death is is pretty uh, effective. Uh, I like seeing that. I love Alison Brie, but I like seeing that character go out. And then the uh, chef's kiss coup de gras of the long plunge down from the garage door on landing onto the car uh, just, uh, you know, tops it all off. So so mine is Rebecca Walters, Sydney's agent from the parking garage. So that's my pick. Uh, well, my pick would have been Officer Perkins, but, uh, it, you know, Denise won that one. Uh, so in instead, the the next best to me that I'm pretty sure is the one you would pick, Reed, it's it's Trudy. Yes, that's um, yes, it was Trudy. I'm just, just kidding. It's not right Trudy. Up, right up top. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, absolutely. It is Olivia to me. Perkins and Olivia Yay. are the front runners here. For a second, um, I was like, wait, nobody picked Olivia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. That was the one well, I, was I was worried. worried. <laughs> I was worried Reed was going to take Olivia. And while I don't disagree, the Allison Brie, you know, sequence is good. It, it's not my favorite and the one I would have chosen first. Uh, I mean, the Olivia sequence is is. It is why. Now, Reed, we talked last week on Scream 3 about how, like, you almost have to decouple yourself from expecting Scream out of Scream 3. Sure. But, yeah, of course, something yeah. like that Olivia sequence is why we show up to these movies. Not because we're mm -hmm. sadistic mm -hmm. mofos, but it's like, wow, I mean, this is call a spade a spade. But we're, we're <laughs> he, disem he disemboweled her. Yeah, that's the other thing is you see the aftermath, too. Like, yeah. it's all right there. Uh Yeah. Worst well, part about I, I meant that, more just the 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 narrative suspense of them seeing across the way and the the oh, you yeah. know, helpless helplessness. Mm -hmm. Worst part about that whole thing is that then Sydney grabs the uh, door and like slides down, and I'm like, oh, the blood. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. I'd be lying right. if I said I didn't think the same thing. Yeah, I mean, literally. I'm just like, oh, don't, no, uh-uh. Don't, you don't, why'd you have to, like, slide your hands down? And, uh, so unsanitary. <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> okay. So, um, all right. So those are our Kill Hall of Fame. We have inducted in uh, Anthony Anderson's Cop Perkins, F. Bruce Willis. We have induct- abducted or inducted um, Kate Roberts through the mail slot, Mama, uh, Rebecca Walters, Sydney's agent, and Olivia Morris, the closet fake-out scene. Uh, truly, truly epic. But the uh, other measurement and our last segment, what we uh, uh, have dubbed our fog meter. This is the way we gauge these films, not on their quality, but on their gravity, their heft, how much they ask of us as uh, a, a viewing audience. So, um I will uh, start this off with our guests. We rate these on fear and God. Uh, Denise, you are brand new to the show, but I know you are not new to the fog meter. So I am going to invite you to give me both your fear and your God measurement at the same time. Well, the the reason why I'm giving these numbers is because of the same sort of idea of it's fearful because of what it, what it asks for us in a psychological sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just... You know, you were talking about Sydney outside Olivia's room and then, you know, Jill runs in and she is now put in a position where she has to shield her from the horror. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of little things like that through it that um, it's not just the jump scares and the slasher. It's a whole bunch of other stuff, too. So I think on the fear meter, I'd probably give it probably a, a solid six. All right. Um, I would go higher, but then I think of like other movies that would be higher in mm. the fear part. Um, in the God part, um, again, because of the gravity of what it makes us think about human nature and, you know, the, the psychology of it all. Um, I would probably give it a, you know, a good, um, seven, maybe even an eight. You want to go eight or do you want to go seven? You can go point five. You can go seven I'm going to seven point five. Look at that, Nathan loves <laughs> Thank it. Thank you, Vera, when we do. for that. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> Nathan loves it when we do that. Um, okay, so uh, thank you. For Guests that. can do whatever they want. <laughs> Vera, what would you give uh, the uh, for the fear and the God measurement? Scream for. Um, I think that as much as I like the Scream franchise, I don't find them particularly scary. Um, but there are some harrowing and like gross moments. Um, so I'm going to go with a five. All right. Here. Um, and for God, I think that like, I mean, this movie is very intentional and like the screen movies, it does like to spell out kind of what its themes are. Um, because that's the whole meta concept of the franchise. Um, and I like that even though Jill is related to Sydney, it's not really like they're not skywalkering it like some of the other entries into the Scream universe. And so they actually have like real commentary that at the time, I think that they were foreshadowing what the this topic world we live in now. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to give it a nine. All right. Very, very strong showing. Uh, Nathan, what would you give it for fear and God? You know, I've, I've made the comment a couple times during Scream Halloween so far that uh, at least up till now, uh, I don't. Um, 
Casey Becker in Scream 1, notwithstanding a few other pockets, um, uh, opening of Scream 2 would fall outside of this, but largely they aren't that scary. Hmm. Um, I, I do think this one raises the bar a bit on its overall output of scariness and just kind of menace and, and you know, kind of chilling aspect of it. Um, and so I, I think for me, I'll give it, I'll give it a six. I think that's, that's pretty fair. Um, I think what I find most interesting about this entry pivoting to the God meter meter is it, it realized, okay, well, it's not so much about, um, a character putting on the mask to obscure identity for us, for a self-seeking goal, like the mask it's used in this to to push an ideology really i mean to, yeah. to push forth thematic ideas and and to me that's pretty interesting uh that that had not been done yet in this franchise so uh i'll give it a seven uh, on the awesome. god meter um my answers are not going to be terribly dissimilar i feel like it, it is uh one it, it's back to i think vera was the one who said it's kind of a return to form i think in terms of suspense and and outright terror capabilities i think it's uh elevates significantly from scream three but even is a high water mark for the entire uh quad of films that we had up to that point uh so i think i'm going to comfortably land at a seven for the fear measurement and I think it has a lot on its mind, and I think it does so it, – it expresses and explores those ideas pretty effectively. So uh, possibly being a bit generous, but on the God Meter, I'm going to go an eight uh, for myself. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like this is a film that is exceptionally well-constructed and very thoughtful and uh, is a high-water mark for this franchise and for slashers in general. And that means that we give Scream 4 a solid 7 out of 10 on the fog meter very very substantive showing i think might be the highest fog meter so far of hmm. this franchise thus far so uh not too shabby but uh perhaps the easier question to answer here is would we recommend it uh reversing the guests a little bit vera would you recommend scream four yeah <laughs> that's it <laughs> come on come on yeah. denise would Here's you recommend end, <laughs> end of sentence denise um, would you two- recommend it well, to quote the famous Vera uh, Gowdy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Of course. Uh, Nathan, would you recommend it? Uh, well, to quote the famous Denise Smith quoting the famous Vera Gowdy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um <laughs> I feel uh, I, I've expressed before that that you know I I loved this film uh, you know high high watermark for me so I think I read uh, there was a review of this film that I just really really loved um, and I think the review was written by Nathan Rouse and I, but he was quoting Denise Smith at the time <laughs> who I think was was going back to to Vera Gowdy who once said yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know this is why i love you reed lackey is you started going down that path i was like son of a b man you couldn't just no, keep up i with was the like game. no way and i was like oh well whatever awesome review fine yeah yeah yeah. good job reed uh hey why did you ever doubt me why did you ever doubt me um you, all right you give cause to sometimes <laughs> wow way to way to take a compliment and, and then just like rip it right out from under me just uh, that's great <laughs> <laughs> all right uh 
folks, this has been so, so much fun. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Vera, thank you so much. Denise, thank you so much. Your first time on the show. Certainly not going to be your last. That's amazing. Oh, Nathan, good. Yes. Nathan, thank you as always. <laughs> Listeners, thank you as always. Next week. Uh, listen, it's Screamoween. We are into October now. Uh, we are trekking right along. So uh, next week, we are going to be going to none other than Scream 5. So, uh, you know, catch that movie, Denise, or any other people that you have not uh, seen Scream 5 yet. Please see it. Um, and then also for the patrons, we will be going to The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror number 10 from season 11. So definitely check that out. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else, but be on your way rejoicing. Denise, thank you again. Vera, thank you again. Nathan, thank you as always. And listeners, thank you as well. We'll see you all next week. See ya, lackey. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>